I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And uh, sorry for the remote recording this week, uh, but I am out in Denver attending a lovely little festival called Series Fest, and Ben is back in L.A. Uh, one of the few of us left back in L.A. because it's vacation season. Oh, my God, Liz, you did that so well. That was such a flawless introduction to our subject. I, am, I know. I am impressed. Thank you. Thank did you, you very much. Did you write that down? I did not, but I was thinking about it in advance. I am impressed. You're yes. a professional. I try. I'm a professional at some things, anyway. Uh, but we're basically, you know, we're not on vacation. I'm working and Ben's working. And we're not going to see vacation for quite some time. Uh, but What is but, vacation? Vacation what are, is a... What are these things? What are these things we call vacations? Uh, but fortunately, we have television to kind of try to instruct us in this matter. Uh, television, uh, tel many television shows have featured installments where the characters get out of the standing sets and they go out and they go to Hawaii or Vegas or other places. And usually something not something you know happens that generates conflict, but then it was resolved and then they get to go on vacation and it's nice, right? I mean, usually. Usually that's the case. Usually it's a nice wrapped up little kind of bottle episode, which gets you very excited because bottle episodes are great. You get to see yeah. everybody together and they're interacting and they're in a new environment and they've got to, you know, try to relax. But it's hard to relax sometimes because there's love triangles or, uh, you know, passing out from heat exhaustion or like lots of things like this. So yeah. it's super fun TV trope. Yeah, it depends on the genre. If you're if you're a comedy or a soap opera, you're probably gonna have to deal with the love triangles. If you're a procedural of some sort, there's probably a dead body on the beach. Sorry about that. Oh man, dead bodies on the beach. Yeah, that says that nothing says summer like dead bodies on the beach. Yep, you know you're you know you're getting into the summer episodes, or you've started a summer series when it feels like an episode of Baywatch. Yeah. One of my favorite facts is the fact that for many years, Baywatch was the most popular show on television uh, around the world, like syndication wise, it, every country watched Baywatch. And then it was supplanted by CSI Miami because somebody figured out that the only thing that the international community likes more than people in swimsuits is people in swimsuits and also dead bodies. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've never seen an episode of Baywatch like all the way through. I've only seen like bits and pieces every once in a while. I guess they did so, solve crime too. But all I think about when I think of Baywatch is the movie Spy Game. And there's a scene in the movie Spy Game where someone is trying to convince, I think it's the Chinese authorities, they're trying to bribe them to shut down the power grid so they can get Brad Pitt out of prison. And they're negotiating and they're really hard-ass negotiators and they don't want to give it to the price, but Robert Redford gives them all of his savings. Spoilers alert for Spy Game, sorry people. Um, They've had years. Gives them all of their savings, like to the dollar, and they're distracted by watching Baywatch, so they agree to it. <laughs> That's pretty great. They're just like, fine, fine, get out of the way. I want to watch Baywatch. There's people running in slow motion. I've been there. Mm. Yeah, understand. So then, tell us about a show, one of the many shows in your in your, you know, memory that actually really dug into this trope and really took us on a fun vacation. 
Uh, well, in terms of a fun vacation, I, I always think back to Friends. Um, Friends, to me, had a number of kind of escape episodes. I mean, in the later season, they had the Barbados trip where uh, Joey and Rachel finally made out at the end of the season. Uh, but Ross was going there to give a speech, and Charlie was with him, and he was trying to make a move on Charlie. But then, you know, like, there was an awkwardness there, and they, like, they had this big love triangle thing going on. But basically, everybody used it as an excuse to go on this vac vacation to Barbados. Um, that's also when uh, Mike and Phoebe got together for good, uh, which was a nice little, nice little ping-pong tournament between Monica Chandler, Paul Rudd, and Lisa Kudrow. Uh, but honestly, I think the beach episode, which isn't technically a vacation, it's more of like a weekend getaway, which I guess applies to what we're, you know, why we're discussing this now, um, is my favorite because that's the that's kind of the culmination of the Ross and Rachel are on a break uh, <laughs> problem because she, you know, they reunite at the beach house and she writes him this long letter and he tries to stay up at night reading it and he falls asleep reading it so that he fakes it and then he can't tolerate the lie that he's told. So it, like, it all ties in together to this you know, ongoing story that we've been digging in, but you have this kind of removal to a house that's next to the beach that was also flooded, so the beach is literally brought inside the house, and that just adds a, a, a great degree of fun, as well as kind of an understandable, relatable degree of you're disconnected enough where maybe you can dig into some of the things that you weren't able to dig into emotionally back in real life. Is, which one is the one where uh, somebody gets stung by a jellyfish? That is the beach episode, yeah. Okay. Because that, that is honestly what I thought you were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. That's actually, the, the best part of that, though, is when they get back from the vacation and they have to confess what happened to the group. So, like, that storyline to me doesn't necessarily speak strictly to the vacation stuff, even though the event itself happened during their vacation. Good Lord, that I just—it—that's it, such an iconic comedy moment as well, though, for the show. Yeah, no, it's—I mean, it's obviously—it's a—it's a big fan favorite. It's—it's um, it's ironic now because it was the moment where they, where Monica said to Chandler, "You will always be the guy who peed on me." Like in really, like in his, and finally answering his question of would we ever, like would why wouldn't we ever have dated? Mm -hmm. um, and then they ended up getting married. So. Hooray! Marriage. That's that the lesson to take away from this, people, is that no matter what somebody does to you, you might end up marrying them. Very good. Very good advice for, for our listeners. Right. Um, I'm going to bring up, uh, we talked a little bit about the, and then there might be a dead body on the beach uh, aspect of uh, the vacation episodes. Uh, and I think one of the iconic, quote unquote, busman's holiday installments is, and look, we're just we own it. We, we only talk about five shows on this, on this podcast. Uh, so the X-Files did this really well. Um, <laughs> maybe the reason that the episodes we do where we talk about new and upcoming shows, maybe the reason those episodes of this podcast do so well is because we don't talk about the same five shows over and over again. No, that can't be it. We yeah, have to cater to our base, Liz. We do have to cater to our base, uh, but the Exiles did this really well. Uh, had had a very iconic, classic sort of Busman's Holiday episode where Scully goes on vacation without Mulder, and the following things happen: one, Mulder gets is so bored and distracted without Scully around that he keeps calling her and nagging her, and it's really funny. Um, 
and then the Scully, meanwhile, is trying to relax and have a nice, a nice trip to Maine. I don't know why she wants to go to Maine, but actually, the I reason she wants to place. well, she also wants to go to Maine because Stephen King wrote the episode. Um, oh, and by and by and by Stephen King law, it must be in Maine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, she goes on this lovely vacation to Maine, and she's just driving around in a convertible, and then of course stumbles across an X file, um, and. It's an episode called Chinga. It's from season, it's like mid-season five, I believe. I believe that is correct. Um, I could, it could be mid-season six. I could be wrong uh, about this one very small detail. Uh, but yeah, it was, but I think what it, what it did, what I think like always happens with vacation episodes that I like is, you know, by taking the character, taking a character out of pre-established uh, patterns, you get to see kind of them in a new light. You get to see, you know, what they might do if they weren't feeling the immediate pressure to answer every phone call or take every message. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's I mean, the X-Files is so much based around the job and obviously it's in the title. So you're watching them kind of go through the motions again and again in a familiar environment. And yeah, they travel, but usually the travel isn't emphasized very much. So no, it's, I mean, that's, that is especially one of the joys for kind of hour long shows. Cause it does, you know, break you out of that little bubble that you're in. So yeah. I will note that there is an episode of the X-Files where they basically do go on vacation, but there's not really an X-File, and that's, um, that's, uh, God, what is it? Shoot, The Ghost Who Stole Hollywood, I believe. Uh, but it's, it's the second David Duchovny written and directed episode. It's the one where um, they go to Hollywood to watch a movie based on their lives be filmed and get, it's super uncomfortable for them. And uh, Gary Shandling and Taylor Leone are there, and it's hilarious. Taylor Leone. Yep. Classic. Anyways, it, it, that episode features one of the best sight gags in the X-Files' entire run, which is Scully running back and forth in the background in heels. Um, so many points. Many, many, if you haven't rewatched it, that, that episode has a lot of... It's not a great episode in, on, a, on a whole, but it has a lot of really fun moments in it. Yeah, you get a lot of joy out of it, I feel. Me personally or people in general? Um, I think people in general. Okay, that's nice. Um, ben, what's another show you, you, you can think of? Uh, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to pick your brain about a show because I feel like there probably is an episode, but I couldn't think of it. Um, Parks and Recreation has a lot of holidays and a lot of celebrations, and they go out of town a lot. Like there was a trip to Chicago kind of in the future episodes that was obviously very near and dear to my heart because they walked by Wrigley Field and predicted the Chicago Cubs World Series. Um, they've gone to D.C. before, uh, a couple of times, really. Uh, so there's like a few of those trips. And I have a, a very fun list in front of me that I stumbled across while searching for things. That is uh, Leslie Nope's Guide to Holidays, where she's got a list of Ben's holidays, right. which include January 8th, Butt Day, the first time he looked at my, she looked at my butt. It's a weird one, but also might be the most seminal moment in our entire relationship. Then she's got Anne's holidays, which include May 21st, Ben Day. First time I told Leslie she, she should just make out with Ben. So today we celebrate Ben without Ben, because Ben Day is our day and not Ben's. And this brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> There's enough of these that are located in the summer months where I feel like maybe they'd, they'd celebrate them with some sort of trip or special occasion. But, I mean, am I forget? Am I, what am I blanking on here, Liz? Is there what a Parks and Rec vacation? 
You are blanking on a big, a couple of big ones. Is it the Indianapolis trip? No, it is not. Uh, though that uh, that does count because it's the first time they 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 nearly kissed. Um, so, um, but no, the 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 big what you're blanking on is uh, what you're blanking on is because uh, Chris Pratt was shooting in the UK for Guardians of the Galaxy, the first uh. one. The season, the season six opener is a two-parter that took place in London, uh, and yep. introduced why Chris, why Andy would be out of town for a few episodes, and also let not only that Leslie gets it gets to do a tour, like she's trying to do all the different walking tours of all the different movies that she loves, um, like the Four Weddings and a Funeral walking to a tour is it conflicts with the Bridget Jones's Diary walking tour that sort of thing, um, and then. Also, that's the one where Ron goes to Scotland, right? And for to visit which which uh, whiskey brand is is his preferred? Uh, it's it's I always want to call it Lagavulin, but that's not it. It's Lagavul. Uh, uh, Lagavul, I think that's it. Lagavulin, Lagavul. 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 It's a good whiskey, god damn it. It is a good whiskey, um, and uh, so. Yeah, so that's the, and there, then there was an addition, I believe, I believe maybe also in season six. Uh, do I have season five versus season six mixed up? Maybe. Either way, uh, it, it, another point, uh, Leslie and Ben go on a trip by themselves to Paris. Uh, I think that is season, that is definitely oh, season six. Oh, that was a quick one though, yeah. It was super quick, but it, the, the one sad slash beautiful thing is that they got to, they, there's that, bridge in Paris where they where you if you're in love with someone you put a lock on the bridge and your love will last forever um, so Leslie and Ben actually did a put a lock on that bridge and it was there for a little while until somebody stole it yeah those dicks dicks but yeah so Parks and Recreation very very full of trips all right good job Liz thank Glad you. you were able to solve that for us because I knew it was eating away at me I, I just and I think you've done a, a rewatch a little more recently than I have so yeah, it's, well, it's well fresher done. in my brain. So for me, uh, I feel like Mad Men, uh, <laughs> bringing Mad Men in this context is kind of fun because I don't know if you would call what Don Draper does whenever he goes to California a vacation. I mean, sometimes it's a vacation, like when he takes his kids to Disneyland and marries their, and proposes to their nanny. And then sometimes it's vac not his nanny, his secretary or whatever Megan was at that point, I forget. Uh, she was his secretary, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's right. She was just playing nanny, essentially, for uh, for the day. Yeah, she, like, in the episode prior, like, two episodes prior, Sally had come to the office, and uh, Megan had to take her home, I think, so she stayed with her at the apartment, and apparently that went well, so Don, like, yeah. And also, they'd already boned once. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways. Uh, so These are very upsetting times of... of Mad Men for me because this is when Don makes the worst choice of his life and chooses Megan over a frickin' doctor. So. Oh, Dr. Faye was the best. She was the best. Stupid Don. Anyways, so like there, there were trips like that and California always had like a very symbolic presence within the show. But then you have, uh, <laughs> and then you also have things like Don just like going to California and not leaving and maybe doing that for extended periods of time without telling anyone and not just doing it once in the course of the show, but at least twice. Oh yeah. I mean, my favorite Don California moment is literally just <laughs> him, like talking to Pete about how important it is 
that they get their business done when they get to California, and the second they land, he looks around, and he's wearing his, his full-on suit, and he's, like, sweating, and he's looking around at all these, you know, just casually dressed, summery L.A. people at the hotel. Some random person pulls up. She was either on the plane or she was at the bar. He met her briefly somehow, but she just pulls up in a car and asks him to get in and go up the coast. And he's like, fuck it, I'm going. And he just leaves leaves Pete to handle all of the work and just disappears for like five days in California and then randomly shows back up in New York after passing out and doing a lot of drugs and drinking and boning and Don Draper things. <laughs> yeah, it was always a... I mean, but I mean, with those with those trips, like what we ended up getting out of them was kind of the sense of Don as, you know, it it, it was kind of, especially at, at especially with season two, we'd seen we'd seen a lot of Don like kind of occasionally pushing back against like the role that society was trying to push him into, uh, but with season two, like, uh, with with that season two um, jaunt. He basically, you know, really cut loose, and it was it, it was it, it, it was honestly like a, a little unsettling. Oh yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of the, it was one of the first moments where you got an idea of how important California was in in Don's uh, self realization and in Don kind of finding peace in his life and and where that search was leading to and, and why California might hold the key to it. And, you know, this led to a lot of rampant speculation. Uh, but it's also important to note that, I mean, this California was not the only destination that, that were vacation spots on Mad Men. Um, he took that trip with, like, after his marriage for his honeymoon, he went to Hawaii with Megan, um, where he ended up marrying a couple, like a, a soldier that he met at the bar that night, and he ended up marrying them the next morning at, like, 8 a.m., uh, and then also he was he was flown around the the world when he was courting Conrad Hilton. So they yeah. stayed in Rome with uh, with Betty, and I mean they, there was there was a quite a few good vacation moments for Mad Men. They they got around. Yeah, that Betty and Don vacation episode always kills me because you can see that they could be happy together, and then it all crumbles apart. It all falls apart. It's so sad. It's uh, I mean, it's always a challenging show. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another show on your list. Another show on my list, Liz, I think perhaps the ultimate vacation, uh, mm. episode of all time. Mm. Um, the gang beats Boggs in <laughs> the 10th season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh my God. I, I would challenge anyone to come up with a better vacation plan than, than these fucking idiots do. <laughs> it's always sunny. I just, they get on a plane, they're all wearing white t-shirts with uh, Roman numerals, or not Roman numerals, with... Just hash, uh, uh, like hash marks or... Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah to tr keep track of how many beers they've had. And they're, they're setting out to top one of the most storied achievements in sports history, which is they're trying to beat bait Wade Boggs' record of drinking more than 70 beers in a single cross-country flight. So the whole point of the episode is them flying across the country and drinking beers on the plane and then just coming back. And obviously things go awry and, and you know, there's, there's issues with it. But watching just the level of, of drunkenness that these guys 
get to, that they, they reach, is astounding, especially when considering how drunk we've seen them before. Yeah. God, that episode. Uh, I th my only problem with that episode is that I... I always bump on the idea that I mean, how many beers? How many beers total does a plane have on it? Like, it can't have seventy beers. Seventy beers is seventy beers on a plane, let alone like seventy times four. Liz, they brought their own. They brought their own, but they also bought some, and I feel like they bought enough to challenge uh, to, to to make my point clear. Also, seventy. How do you carry seventy beers? They they stored them in the luggage that they had to put in checked baggage, which is why Dennis ended up breaking into the, uh, like, the hole of the plane. Well, actually, I think he <laughs> broke in to ha to have sex with an yeah. ugly woman <laughs> because because he, he decided that, that he had to. But his cover story was that he was trying to get the rest of the beer out because they didn't have enough beer to support them, like uh, from the cabin. I, I take it back that the plotting of that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is airtight. It's flawless. And I mean, they even got Wade Boggs on the show. I can't, I mean, it's, it's quite an achievement. And in, that they did it in their 10th season. It shows kind of the, the creativity that goes into constructing these episodes and just the very simple pleasures of watching them. But uh, it's not simple how they construct it. It's, it's a, they always put a lot into it, and I'm always very impressed with what they come up with. And, and this is... A great vacation episode because it illustrates the multitude of vacation opportunities that you can have like you don't have to just go to a resort and sleep on the beach you don't have to just have a specific destination you can hop on a plane and enjoy the literal trip itself well we're running a little low on time Ben uh, do you want to kind of lightning round your way through a couple of others that you you are you, you, a couple of other vacation episodes you really like um, I wanted to like spotlight a couple that are terrible, um, namely the ABC sitcoms of late when they decide to go on vacation to Disneyland and it becomes just a horrific advertisement for Disney, the, the parent company of ABC. Like it's, it's so blatant and some of them are so lazy in how they actually decide to write up the episode and incorporate the Disney stuff that it's just the blackish one in particular is, is, is a, a dark mark on that show, which is usually steers so far clear of that it makes it look worse when they dive into it or they're forced to. Um, yeah. That being said, Liz, I mean, the most iconic vacation story of all time. It's Kevin's trips to Australia on The Leftovers. Aww. For two decades, he was going to Australia every two weeks that he got vacation, just <laughs> holding up a picture and showing it to people and trying to track down Nora because he loves her and he wouldn't believe that she was gone. And then he finally finds her. And it's <laughs> so sweet. <sighs> Every year I go to fucking Australia. <sighs> Justin Thoreau should get an, an Emmy just for that line, just for the way he says fucking Australia because it's romantic, it's, it's angry, it's got like all of the passion built into it, and it's also kind of funny, because it's a stupid thing, and, and you do stupid things when you're in love, and you only get two weeks of vacation a year. So I, I that one's gonna stick with me. That was beautifully said. Fucking Australia. Liz, do you have any you wanted to highlight? Uh I really love the Simpsons episode where they go, they have a beach house and Lisa makes, makes new friends. That's an old childhood favorite of mine. Mm, good uh, 
And also when we were doing, I was doing the research for this, Doctor Who kept coming up because a lot of times the way a Doctor Who episode starts is, oh, we should just go pop over here and have a lovely time doing, yeah, not at all dealing with some sort of alien menace. And then, of course, there's an alien menace they have to deal with. It's pretty <laughs> funny. It's a, it's, at this point, the show kind of is, I think, is, has made note of it as a trope. Were there any of those kind of procedural shows, you know, or not even just procedural, but shows like, you know, The X-Files and Doctor Who, where they tried to go on vacation or they tried to take a break and they didn't get sucked back into work? Like, where they actually just gave them some time off and let them have some fun? No, not really. I feel like, yeah, I feel like everyone, I feel like if you, if you guys can think, if you, gentle listener, can think of an example uh, that we are missing, I'd le- we'd love to hear it. Uh, but I feel like usually the thing about vacation episodes is that they're a, another way into, another way into a pretty typical storyline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alas. Um, that being said, uh, because we are not on vacation at all, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Oh, man, Liz. It's, it's a really tough call. I've seen a lot of bad television um, over the last week. And, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I talked about Glow the last time we were on the air. You, which is um, good. Which is what? Which was good. You liked Glow. Oh, yeah. Glow's great. Glow's, like, sorry. That I, yeah, very good to make that clear. Glow's the exception. Right. Um, I will give, I will give a, a little bit of a shout-out to Snowfall. Um, it's premiering this week, I believe Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Um, but it's premiering this week on FX. It's uh, a fairly, am- it's another ambitious, it feels like very much like a summer series. It's set during the summer, but it's in Los Angeles where it kind of always looks and feels like the summer. Um, its tagline is how crack was born or how crack began. Um, and it kind of tells like a, a true story mixed with a, a fictionalized narrative story about kind of how the government and, and the streets of Los Angeles came together to make this drug explosion happen. Um, and there's parts of it that are really, really good. The acting is really, really strong. The writing kind of keeps everything neatly structured. It's a little bit too neatly structured for me, or at least traditionally structured to make it as compelling as it should be, as, as this true story really is. Um, but I think people will like it. I think people who who that sounds appealing for um, and maybe don't watch a ton of TV, this might be something that they could they could get into. So I, I, I'm, I'm not super high on it, but I'm also, I, I'd recommend it to the right people. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like an a, a, a important acquired taste, but... Yeah. Um, uh, what about you, though, Elizabeth? Well, I'm, I'm here, as I mentioned, I'm here at Series Fest watching a lot of stuff, uh, including uh, mostly all original or digital, sh- uh, digital shows uh, that are currently streaming on the web or pilots that are looking for distribution, a couple of things that will be actually on television down the line. Um, and I will say, uh, there is this crazy-ass thing called The Ice Slicer. Uh, it premiered at Tribeca. It's also a screening here. And it's screened here rather, and it was bonkers. Like it's basically a compilation of uh, short films that are really like out there and wacky and edgy and strange. And the way that they're compiled together into like basically hour-long episodes is fascinating. It's kind of it's it's both like stuff you've seen before in terms of construction and unlike anything else. Uh, and it has real wit and personality to it, just on its own level and. 
it's also just really interesting. Like the, the, I'm working on an article about it now and you can read about it on IndieWire.com. Hopefully when this episode podcast, uh, this episode posts, uh, but yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. Uh, so I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to more people knowing about it and being able to see it because it should be the, the, their, their distribution plans for it are still in the works, but while it may not be like, it will not be streaming on Netflix, it should be relatively accessible to a, to a wide audience. Uh, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, Wiz, I mean, I'd, I'd say I'm looking forward to the Eye Slicer, but it's going to be very difficult for me to get past that title. That is one of the most unnerving, like, bone-chilling titles I've ever heard and read, whatever. I should show you um, the logo. Don't. Please don't. Oh, God. Um, no, I, I'll say this. I'm, the, the next thing I'm looking forward to is being done with Gypsy. Uh, <laughs> We very, very nearly made this podcast entirely me ranting to Liz about Gypsy. And that the only reason a, is that you didn't finish it. Correct. That may be a future podcast still, if it, depending on how much I get out into a spoiler post. But by the time you listen to this, there will be more information about the Netflix series starring Naomi Watts, which is one of the most baffling experiences I've ever gone through on TV. I do not understand. I'm eight and a half hours into this thing. And I do not understand what the show is about. I, I think it's about a married couple who ch might cheat on each other. But I, I, it's so low stakes that I have no freaking clue. And yet, they're building this mystery around it that seems very grand. So I'm very much looking forward to being done, both because I, I kind of don't want to watch it, but I also kind of have to watch it. Because I'm just I'm compelled to figure out what the fuck is going on here. So... Uh, that's really what I'm looking forward to. There's some stuff in the distant future that I'm sure Liz will talk about and save us a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, that's me. Liz, what are you looking forward to? Oh, man. I'm looking at the next the release. Is com release is coming out in the next week or so. And I think it kind of comes down to um, it's a, basically a weird split between uh, Castlevania, which is this Netflix animated series that's going to be premiering uh, this upcoming Friday, the 7th. And it's the, the reason I'm interested in it is like basically 100% because I'm a big fan of the writer Warren Ellis, who wrote a, who's written a ton of iconic comic books, and he's a really interesting writer on just a lot of levels. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it. And also Netflix released a very clever uh, trailer for it that basically the first couple of, the first couple of sequence was um, a live action. Uh, a, a, watching a live action retro video game uh, get loaded up and it had like, you know, different options. You could watch, you could play Orange is the New Black or you could play Narcos or you could play uh, House of Cards or you could play Castlevania. And then the person selects Castlevania. And it was, it was I really liked that trailer and it gives me some odd faith that this might actually be a really cool project. Uh, so I, I could be totally dis disappointed on it, but who knows? I'll just stick with that. That's my. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing if Castlevania is anything at all. You got to look forward to it until it turns out to be Gypsy. <laughs> you were so excited about Gypsy, guys. I, I was. Go, go back. Go back. Listen to other. Like just a couple of weeks ago, he had such. There was such joy in his heart, such such happiness, such expectation, and it has been cruelly, cruelly ground away. Yeah, it hurts, guys. It doesn't feel good. And you'll be able to read all about this and more, especially Gypsy, apparently, at IndieWire.com, where there will be news, rev there will be news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. 
Uh, and please listen to our other IndieWire podcasts, which will likely be gypsy-free, uh, including Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider, Filmmaker Toolkit podcast with Chris O'Fault, and, of course, uh, the original, the OG IndieWire podcast, uh, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. Correct. Uh, you can find Ben on Twitter. To, ah, good Lord, Liz. Learn to talk. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Lisa on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Can't let it go, can you? Never. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television. Thank you.